Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house today. It's a lot better than being in jail. <clears throat> Our text today, I have a precious friend in the ministry. He's actually about 91 now, but uh, when I felt led of the Lord to come to Franklin County over a half a century ago, uh, the Lord led him into the, hosp uh, into the chaplaincy in the Air Force. In fact, he conducted uh, my son's funeral, and he had a saying. I, he would say, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I would tell him. He said, well, now, Brother Holland, that's a good text if you can do anything with it. And so we have a good text today, and the Lord will help us hopefully, to do something with it. Turn in your Bibles, and for those of you who don't <clears throat> bring your Bibles, shame on you. Uh, <clears throat> but we're going to begin reading with, from Hebrews chapter 12. Now, the New Testament has 27 books in it. 21 of them are called letters or epistles. These uh, have one main purpose, and that is to teach us how to live the Christian life in the world in which we live. And so Paul or Peter or James will explain to us what it means to be a Christian in an alien world, a world that is not friendly to the things of God. And so Hebrews, we do not know the author of Hebrews, but he is explaining to us in this text what the Christian life is supposed to be. And I'm going to read three verses. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. The Bible is very clear that we who are the people of God, we who claim the name Christians, are to live in a certain way. And the Bible uses a number of figures of speech to help us understand what it really means to be a Christian. In everyday life, we lose a lot of figures of speech. We don't even think about it. But the Bible uses what we call similes or metaphors. Jesus used a lot of parables. A parable was a story that was familiar to the people who heard him. And alongside that story, he would draw a spiritual truth. The word parable really means to throw alongside. And Jesus, in the New Testament, there are 39 parables. I believe it's in Matthew 13, there are seven parables. 
Most of us are familiar with Luke chapter 15, which is a chapter on what it means to be lost. And there are three parables in Luke chapter 15. There was the woman who lost a coin. There was a shepherd who lost a sheep. And there was a father who lost the son. Here in our text, the figure of speech that is being used is that of a race. And he begins by saying, therefore, and by the way, the word therefore is a bridge word. And what I mean by that, the word therefore connects us to the chapter before. And in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you why we must understand what's happening in chapter 11 in order to fully comprehend what is meaning, what he tells us in chapter 12. And therefore, he says, therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And then he says, let us run with perseverance the race. Now, Paul, on more than one occasion, now Paul, I don't believe, wrote this. But Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about a race. Now let me say that the Summer Olympics, I believe, in our 2024, the ancient Olympic Games go back 700 years before Christ walked on the earth. And so when Paul was writing, he was familiar with the ancient Olympic Games. They were held every four years. But what is interesting you remember Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Corinth was on an isthmus, and there were every two years, they would have what they called the Isthmian Games. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about running a race. Paul talks about the Christian life as someone who is boxing. You remember Paul in writing to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now these are all figures of speech, whether it's boxing or running a race or being a soldier of Christ. But those figures of speech help clarify and explain what it means to live in a world that is hostile towards the thing of God. And so for a minute or two, let's look generally at the text. We don't know who the author was of this book. Some give various reasons why they think this person or that person, but after studying the scriptures for 60-something years, the style of Hebrew does not remind me of the style that Paul used in writing his other letters. But it was written around 70 A.D., and it bears the name Hebrews because it was written to Hebrew Christians. Christians who were second and third generation. And they were being persecuted. They were under stress. They were under threat of their very lives. And so this book was written to these Hebrew Christians. And they were being persecuted by not only Gentiles, but also Hebrews, because Hebrew was a 
religion and they were being persecuted because they had turned from Judaism to follow the living God. I remember as a freshman or sophomore in college, I don't remember who it was that was speaking in chapel, but I remember he gave an illustration of a young Jewish man who lived in Florida and he had become a Christian and he wanted to follow Jesus Christ. His father happened to be a judge in Florida. And so when that young Jewish man decided to become a follower of Jesus, the judge says, from this moment on, to me, you are dead. You are no longer my son. He rejected his son because he decided to follow Jesus. Folks, there are a lot of people that we don't know that are living in places that we don't hear much about, but there are places like Uganda and Nigeria where people who decide to follow Jesus are facing extreme persecution. I have read on more than one occasion that every year more than 200,000 people die because they have decided to follow Jesus. And so when the writer of this epistle, this letter, he said, we are to run the race. Now, I think he's not talking about a 100-yard or a 100-meter dash. I looked this up on Google, and the current record for the 100-meter race, which is about 100 yards or I don't know more or less, I don't know what the, 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 uh, the precise measurement of a meter is, but the record is nine seconds point five eight. In other words, a little over nine and a half seconds. That's pretty fast. Now, running a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. I know that's right. Not that I've ever run a marathon. But it's two hours and one minute. And so when the writer says, Christian, let us run the race. He's not talking about a 100-meter dash. He's talking about a marathon. And that's what the Lord calls us to do, a marathon. In other words, from the time we accept Christ, from the time that we find it's, uh, our, our faith in Jesus Christ, from that point on, we are running a race. Yesterday at the funeral of Ms. Robertson, it was a celebration of life of one who had run the race very well, one who had been faithful to Jesus Christ. And so here he says, let us run with patience and with perseverance the race that is set before us. And so what we have here is a connection between chapter 12 and chapter 11. Now, in chapter 11, we call that the roll call of the faithful. Now, let me just take a minute now. Listen as I read from chapter 11. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. And then it goes through about 15 different saints of the Old Testament who lived by faith. 
Now this was before Jesus came. But the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness sake. Now here's the figure in chapter 12. We are called to run the race, but we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I have been watching, and maybe you have. We're we're in the middle of the Little World series, the kids that are 11 and 12 years old. And I just love to watch them, but I love also to watch the parents and the stands because if they get a hit, they can clap, or if they do this, they clap, and that's fine. But that is not the picture here. And I've heard some preachers who preach on this and say that what it is is we are surrounded by a great cloud of Old Testament saints who are cheering us on so that we will be good runners in the race and following the Lord. That is not the picture. Here's the picture. Notice in verse 1 he says, Therefore we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. He did not say spectators. Now there's a difference. If you go to a football game, if you, I've only been to one Virginia took football game. That was, that was enough. And, um, and, and, and they go crazy. And, and I'm not being ugly, but they go crazy. That's all I can got to say. But the point of it is they clap and they cheer and they holler and they act like a bunch of you bangies because they're happy that their team is winning. That is not the picture here. The picture here is we have great saints of the Old Testament. We have Abraham and Noah and Abel, and even it mentions a woman who was a harlot, a prostitute, but she believed God and she, uh, it was accounted to her for righteousness In verse 31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit included a a prostitute. It means that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. Nobody is so evil that they cannot be rescued by the mercy of God. And here is the picture. There are those who are witnesses to the faithfulness of God. They're not spectators cheering us on. But these men and women, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Rahab. And then it mentions people like Gideon, and Samson, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets. These are Old Testament saints who are witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness tells what they know. They're to get on a stand and they give witness, they give testimony to what they've experienced, what they've seen, what they have heard. These Old Testament witnesses are giving testimony to what? That God is faithful, that God is forgiving, that God is loving, God forgives our sins, and they are witnesses to the great forgiveness of God. Therefore, if God was faithful to Abraham, 
if God was faithful to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Samson and Gideon, if God was faithful to them under grace, surely God is going to be faithful to us in our race. And so he is saying here that we who are in the life of the Christian, let us run the marathon that we call the Christian life. But there is something that we need. What kind of race? Well, it's a, it's a marathon. And let me say this, that when we see on TV, whether it's football, basketball, running races, what you see them do, there's a lot of preparation that goes on before. In other words, a person that runs a marathon they have run maybe hundreds of miles before they actually run the race. And so what I believe is in vogue here is when he says, let us run with perseverance the race. Now, I want you to look up here and pay attention. I'm not suggesting you're not paying attention, but I want you to remember something. You know what the word race is? In the Greek word, it's agon. You know where, what word we get from that? Agony. What is the Holy Spirit saying here? That the race, the life of the Christian is not intended to be a walk in the park. We are not intended to be casual and careless. No, we're, we're, we're in the serious business of following Jesus Christ. And people have laid down their lives because they ran well the life of the Christian. It costs them their lives. You remember Stephen gave witness to the faithfulness of Jesus and he was stoned to death. And even today, there are people in certain places in the world who are being put in jail, put to death because they are running the race of the Christian. It is not a dance around the maypole. It is not something that we need to be casual about. It is not something that we dare be careless about. He says, let us run with perseverance, with preparation. In other words, those who run the race, those who are in the marathon must prepare. And that's what he's talking about. What kind of preparation? He says, let us therefore throw off everything that hinders. Now folks, there, there's something here that we ought not to forget. He is making a distinction as in my life, Larry Holland, that, that there may be things in my life that might not be sin but it might hinder me in my race. Now, why, why do you say that, preacher? Well, because he separates. Let's go back to the passage. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. He separates those things that hinder us from the sin that we know does not please God. And so, well, what does the word hinder me? What are those things that may hinder me? Well, to be honest with you, 
<clears throat> I don't want to get too personal, and I don't want you to get upset at me and get mad. But I wonder sometimes if social media, it's not sin in itself, but I've read some statistics that the average person spends close to two hours a day on their cell phone. That's hard to believe. I'm not much of a talker on cell phone. I, I don't even check my emails very often. But my point I'm trying to make is, if, you, if we're spending all that time on social media, now don't get mad, but if we spend all that time on social media and we can't even give God five minutes a day in prayer, don't you think that's a hindrance? That's what I'm talking about. I've met a preacher or two that I wondered whether they loved golf more than they did Jesus. I, I, I'll be honest with you, we... We need to get our priorities. We need to prepare this life of the Christian. Folks, it's serious business. And we're living increasingly in a world that's hostile. Did you read recently about this Catholic couple who wanted to adopt a child? And because they had certain Christian beliefs and did not go along with the LBGQ 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, they were turned down as adoptive parents. I'm saying that increasingly in our secular society, it is harder today to love Jesus and to follow him. And so we ought to be careful about those things that might hinder us those things that may not be sin in themselves, but they hinder us in the serious business of running the race and following Jesus Christ. And then he says, lay aside the, the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I I uh, was talking to someone, and, and I think I heard, heard him in a sermon say, how many preachers struggled with pornography? I was shocked. As a young man, um, I know I'm old, but I used to be young. And as a young man, I, I made a covenant with God about my eyes. And I said, Lord, if you'll keep me from those kinds of sin. And when I was on the foreign mission board, we traveled all over the country. And I'd be in airports, I'd, and I knew nobody. And I knew if I wanted to, nobody could see me. And I could go to the newsstand, and I could look at stuff that fed into the sinful lust of my young nature. But as a young man... I made a promise to God if he would keep me from that. And I made a covenant with my eyes. And I'm, I'm just telling you my testimony. Because I asked God one time, Lord, rather than commit a violation of my marriage, bring shame on my church, bring shame on the name of Jesus, God, I'd rather die as a young man. And so I'm saying to you today, in fact, I was counseling a young preacher. You don't know who I'm talking about. And uh, he told me, he said, 
He said, Pastor, he said, when I was a period in my life, I struggled with pornography. You, you, you men, you will never be what God wants you to be if that's a problem in your life. And we who are the people of God need to know that there are sins that drag us down in this long race. He says, let us persevere. Let us press on. Now, sometimes if you've talked to these marathon runners, they, they, they hit a wall. It, sometimes it hurts. Their muscles are aching and, and their feet are hurting, but they keep going on. And, and if you've watched some of them, sometimes they almost fall out before they get to the 26.2 miles. Now, what does that tell us? Sometimes it's hard in the Christian life. Some of you I'm talking to today are facing health problems. It's not easy. Some of us are getting old and getting older. Somebody said it's our golden years. That's a bunch of junk. <laughs> I hate it when they say that on TV. When you get into your golden years, who are they trying to kid? I tell you, I get up in the morning and I don't even know if I'm going to make it to the bathroom. The golden years. But you press on. And what the Christian life is about, it means that there will be hard times and difficult times and we have health problems and we lose loved ones and our hearts are broken and people disappoint us. Folks, it's not easy following Jesus, but it's worth it, praise God. That's what he's saying here. He says... Um, let us throw aside the things that hinder us and the sin which entangles us and let us run with perseverance. That means to press on. Did you know in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea said, let us press on to know the Lord. And then you remember Paul says, I press on to know the Lord. These marathon runners, they have to press on, even their Feet are hurting and their sides are aching and their muscles are giving way. But they are pressing on and that's what we are to do. Press on in the hard times. Oh folks, it's easy to live for Jesus when I'm getting ready to go to Hilton Head for two weeks. And all my children made straight A's. And my husband got a raise. But when times are hard, when our hearts are broken... And when our dreams are dashed on the anvil of adversity, that is when the rubber meets the road for the Christian. Oh, God never promised it would be easy. But he says that we are to run the race. And then he says, oh, I like this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. By the way, I... I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. In fact, I went to junior high school. They call it middle school now, but when I went, it called junior high school. It was nine, ten, it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And, and my uh, junior high was in the historical district of Savannah. Across one street, there were Juliet Lowe, founded the Girl Scouts. Then across the street, there was a wonderful Presbyterian 
where the minister of music wrote some hymns that are in your Baptist hymnal. He, he lived during the Civil War. And about three blocks or four blocks west was Sherman's headquarters when he came through Burn Savannah down. And so I had this PE coach. I've got time. And, and he was looking for people who could run track. And this is a true story. And so we didn't have, you know, because we're in the city district. And so he took us down to Forsyth Park. If you didn't know anything about Savannah, it's where that beautiful fountain that was put in in 1858. And, uh, and, and around Forsyth Park, it is one mile and a half. And he took us on one of the school buses and he said, all right, you men, you young men, get out and you run around this park. Now, I had no preparation. And so we start running. And remember, this is in the 50s. And in about a quarter of a mile, you're sucking air. In about a half a mile, the smokers dropped out. And this was in the 50s, and they smoked. I was determined I was going to finish that race. And I ran a mile and a half, and when I finished, I thought I had to get better before I could die. I couldn't breathe, my chest hurt, my legs were weak, my stomach was sick. And I remember when he took us back to school that I didn't even know if I was going to be able to go to my science class. And by the way, he didn't find one good runner in the class. <laughs> Why? Because we had no preparation. And the preparation for running the Christian life I believe we need to spend a little bit of each day in the Word of God. As long as I preach here, I'm going to remind you, every day we need to spend some time in God's Word. Every day we need to spend some time talking to the Lord. I'm not going to tell you about what I do because <clears throat> I don't want you to think the wrong thing. But folk, nothing is more important to me during the day than spending time with God. Nothing. Because life's not easy. And if I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, that's a good southern term, fixing to do something. It means to gaze. It means to be centered. It means to understand that nothing can keep us from keeping our attention upon. And that's the secret. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the reason all that we do in our worship and our preaching ought to be about Jesus. Preaching is not giving book reports. It's pointing people to Jesus Christ. And he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter, or the old uh, King James says, finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary in well-doing. You know what will encourage you when your heart's broken? You know what will help you when your dreams don't come true? 
You know what will really help when you get a bad report from the doctor? Look at Jesus. He'll help us. He's our Savior. He loves us. He died for us. We are His sheep. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd, John 10. And so in running the race, Christian, and I'm talking to those of you who know the Lord is your Savior, but I wonder as I close today, is there anybody here today that you're not sure if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? I, I, I admonish you. I, I challenge you. The Christian life is not an easy life. But old folks, following Jesus is better than anything else. I've met a lot of rich people. Loving Jesus is better than being rich. Loving Jesus is better than being famous. Loving Jesus is better than anything else. Because where I spend eternity really does make a difference. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach on heaven. A lady said several weeks ago, you said you are going to preach on heaven and then on hell. And so next Sunday, God willing, if the Lord doesn't come, I'm going to preach on heaven and the following Sunday, the Lord will, I'm going to preach on hell. But as we get ready to sing the invitation, what grade do you give yourself in the race that is set before us? Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would apply what needs to be applied. Help us, Father, to fix our eyes on the precious, wonderful name of Jesus. There's no other name like Jesus. Oh, how we love Jesus. We thank you for him, Lord. He loved us. He died for us. And one day we're going to be with Jesus. And I make this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.